Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Got Barstool's own White Sox Dave, Redline Radio, you know who he is. He's here to discuss everything White Sox, whether it's offseason plans, every position, the farm system. We're going to be doing one of these for all 30 teams. There's also a Chicago White Sox player interview at the end, Caleb Fair. He's a reliever, and we hope you enjoy it. The White Sox are in a little bit of a different situation than your you know, neighbors of the North, the Cubs. Cubs are in win-now mode. The White Sox are in rebuild and retool mode. You have specifically five catchers under contract right now, from what I see. You have Castillo, who the veteran making money until 2020 on a club option. Then you got a bunch of other guys. You got Navarez, you got Gonzalez, Garneau, and Smith. What do you think of those guys? Are any of, the guys, any of those guys going to be in the future? Do you try and move Castillo out for another prospect, either this summer or at the deadline next year? What do you think the plan should be with the White Sox? The, okay, so with the White Sox, all right, so automatically take Garneau out. He's, I mean, he might be gone already, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, he's not coming back. He's just organizational depth if you really need someone to come and catch a game or give you a few innings behind the plate. I mean, he's 30-plus years old already, I, I want to say, but he's he's got zero part of the future, so not even worth talking about. Um, Wellington Castillo, so Rick Hahn, I don't – like I have this whole running joke on Twitter and everything where I'm friends with Rick Hahn. I'm friendly with Rick Hahn. It's not like I'm sitting there texting the White Sox general manager like, oh, hey, what about this? What about that? You know, of course, he had mentioned a few times that over – so last offseason, this uh, this coming offseason, and probably next offseason or two offseasons from now as well, that they're going to start making these bridge signings with not exactly old – like outdated veterans, but, um, you know, guys that are still productive major league players like a Wellington Castillo. I mean, if you're a war guy, I want to say Wellington Castillo's uh, war with the Orioles two seasons ago now for the White Sox, at least. So 2017 season was like, he was almost a three win catcher hit like 270 with like almost 20 bombs. And he's a good catcher, but this year he got popped for steroids. It was a two year deal with the third year um, team option. After this, I mean, I would have said that he would have been the guy to like be the 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 brick the brick wall behind home plate for the next couple of years because he is a really good receiving catcher. He can control a running game. He knows how to call a game, and he's been around the league for five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it is. Uh, he'd be a good veteran presence to handle a young and up and coming pitching staff, but. I think that might have changed after he got 80 games this summer, so he hardly played. And uh, when he did play, he was okay. I mean, still, like, defensively at least, he was solid enough. But I think he's probably – he got he, – he didn't get injured, but I think he got Wally pipped by uh, Omar Narvaez. Narvaez is kind of the exact opposite. Nor- Omar Narvaez does not strike out at all. And he's got a really, really good batter's eye. He came out of nowhere. And he's done that. He did this last year, too, in like 80 games, like limited playing time. And then um, Narvaez, he did it again this year where he put up like a two and a half war season on base machine. He got on base, I want to say, without looking at like a 350 clip, 360 clip. It was 366. You're right on the button there. Yeah, 366. He started to show some sneaky power in the second half of the season. I want to say he hit like 
five or seven home runs in the second half. If I mean, if you extrapolate that over 100, I mean, no catchers catching 162 games, say 130 games, um, and he could hit 15 bombs and get on base. I mean, that's a that's a really good catcher right there, you know. Defensively, he still has work to do, but he is absolutely over the last two years of somewhat limited playing time played himself into, even if it's not with the White Sox, into some sort of major league role. But I think that with Zach Collins coming up, who was their first round pick in Miami, uh, two years or three years ago now, I want to say two or three, yeah, three drafts ago rather, they're gonna they're gonna make a nice one-two punch as a on-base machine from behind the plate. So um, I want to say Zach Collins has to be added to the 40-man this year. Or no, no, he's next year. So they got another year before. They don't have to worry about contracts and protecting him and all that. But um, out of those guys, Castillo, he may be back. They may trade him for peanuts. I don't know. But Narvaez is the guy that he's absolutely played into a, into a, into a role at the White Sox. Kevin Smith, he's very, very, very okay. The, um, I got a buddy who I played high school baseball with who got drafted by the White Sox, made it all the way up through AAA, ended up retiring because of arm problems. He says Kevin Smith calls the best game of all time, bar none like the best catcher he's ever worked with. So, I mean, that's this, high praise. Yeah, that's high praise, right? And I mean, he he had played for, he played for the Orioles um, after the White Sox, um, in their system rather. And then uh, he tried coming back one time with the Yankees. His arm fell apart. But he's worked with a lot of different organizations and a lot of different catchers. So Kevin Smith. But Kevin Smith's on the wrong side of 30 now, I want to say. Um, yeah, I think he's at 30 on the dot, probably returning 30 31. 30 on the dot. He's, he's, he's just kind of a placeholder right now. So Omar Narvaez and maybe Castillo and then eventually Zach Collins are going to be the three guys that that the White Sox are are – counting on to be, you know, be that backstop. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Zach Collins, number eight prospect for you guys right now. You know, like you said, very good at getting on base. And, you know, you, you have a guy like Navarez who did show that sneaky power. His slugging percentage went way up from last year. Yeah, to this went, year. yeah his ISO and his slugging skyrocketed this yeah, year. Yeah, and that's great. And, and you can teach hitting, obviously, and you can teach hitting, but you have to have the talent. He has it. Contract-wise, it's great. I mean, Castillo is going to be – this is his final year, most likely. You know, you have the club option, so you don't need to keep him. You know, it's a one-year. I'd be shocked unless he puts up, like, an all-star year that if they keep him. Yeah, and even if he puts up an all-star year, you might trade him. You know, right, you might exactly. you know, end up doing that, and that'd be great. And, you know, all these guys are on the team control and arbitration, so it's, it's pretty great. So speaking of all-stars, you got Jose Abreu at first base. Still under arbitration, so you're obviously going to keep him for another year. He's another guy that's on the wrong side of 30. So is he part of the future plan? Is he part of just the next couple of years? I didn't really see anybody in the system that I could see coming up here quickly, there's, at least. There's a lot of guys in the system right now, like Zach Collins being one of them, that profile maybe to be first baseman. Zach Collins isn't athletic at all. I've seen him play. He's gotten better defensively. Um, I lived out in Arizona for six weeks last winter, so um i when i was out there that like i didn't know anybody out there i was out there for my real job and all i would do is go to baseball games i'd go alone too which was kind of weird but i got used to it and all i would do is just watch like as intently as i could to not not the games really just batting practice and you know their off-season conditioning because i watch them run polls and how they would how they would do that and attack that zach collins isn't an athlete he might wind up at first base anyways with a brayu he he was 
so he had testicular torsion this year, which nobody wants to deal with. So he was out for the last like month of the season. And right before that, he, what, what, I forget what, what he, he won on the DL twice. I want to say for the first time, like ever. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Since he came in the league, he, yeah, he played 145 games or more four years in a row. Four years in a row, right. He was he was never hurt, but this year, obviously, it's not like he's tweaking hamstrings and, you know, stuff like that where just ticky-tack injuries that are, like, putting him on the 10-day DL every two months. It's it was He had a weird year, but when he was playing, he was he had an awful, awful May, I want to say it was. Just, like, the worst of his career. That kind of skewed his numbers. Other than that, he was the same consistent hitter that, White Sox have seen forever. I do know they really, really um, appreciate his leadership in the clubhouse, especially with the influx of Cuban players that are coming in, like Mincata, like eventually Luis Robert, who they signed uh, two offseasons or two summers ago. Now he's a monster. Yeah, unreal, unreal freak prospect, athlete, freak athlete. Um, and he's he's kind of been become a father figure in the clubhouse, and they don't have a lot of those guys because they traded them all, you know. But um. I, I would not be opposed to them extending him for like another three years because he's 31 now, I want to say. Yeah. Yes, 31. 31. So, I mean, you can still have – and especially someone like him. He stays in really good shape. Um, I don't see his product productivity as a hitter like plummeting in any way. And eventually he can shift over to DH, just focus, focus on mashing baseballs, and I'd be all for that. So, yeah, I mean, but at the same time – if they did trade him, I wouldn't be opposed to that either, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you can get a piece for him, you get a piece. Because this, this team doesn't look like it's going to be the Braves of next year, per se. But I think with a couple of pieces, it could be. But, yeah, it absolutely could be. Yeah, it just yeah, it I takes mean, one more this, veteran almost. Yeah. You're seeing this weird influx now where these guys, these teams are, what, two or three years away going into the season. And then all of a sudden, they're playoff teams. And it's... Young it's guys obviously coming up, and it's those key veterans as well. And I think Abreu might be that key veteran on this team Just with guys like coming Freddy. up. Yeah, exactly. Got to be like Freddie Freeman. You got to have someone that's been there that, for a while. That's and a really good analogy right there. So the big man on campus coming up, obviously, we know him very well. We're we're based MLP, you know, wide podcast. That's why we have you on. But we're both Red Sox fans. We're both you know homegrown Sox fans. Yoan Mankata, the Cuban yep. missile. Million different names for him. Probably one of the best trades in the past decade for both teams involved. The White Sox get three really good pieces as the third piece of that. I love how you said three right there because everybody just assumes two. Well, everyone kind of forgets, and the third guy might be the guy that might be the most impact sooner, which is kind of crazy to think about. Because Kopech's out till 2020 or 2022. God, whenever the hell he's coming back. 2020. Yeah, and when he comes back, the guy wants to throw 107, so he might end up right back out again. Moncada has shown he's a freak athlete, but struggles at the plate when it comes to strikeouts. He's obviously your second baseman for the future. My question with that is, do you think he turns into the 300-30-30 guy that he that the Red Sox advertise him as, or is he more of a 250-260 freak athlete, you know, going to get on base, speedy type of guy? So... I've said this, I actually got into a huge argument with Red Sox fans because um, this was last year after he got called up as a 20, 21-year-old, whatever it was. Yeah, I think it was 20, yeah. When the White Sox, I, right, I got to differentiate between White Sox and Red Sox now. But uh, 
when the White Sox called him up after the trade, um, he was striking out looking a lot. And he did it a lot this year, too. He led the league by far and away strikeouts looking. And, like, I, I, because there was, like, guys like Tim Anderson, for instance, who came up and they just swung at everything. Didn't walk at all. Mankata had, a, like, a, a 10, uh, 10.5% walk rate this year, I want to say. But his uh, strikeout rate was through the roof, obviously. And I, I said in a blog, I remember that, I'd rather someone I'd rather teach someone to swing the bat than to not swing the bat because it's easier to go up there and sit on a first pitch fastball or whatever your whatever pitch you're sitting on and you know tee off on it instead of sitting on any pitch at all already deciding you're gonna swing and then swinging at a, a slider three feet into the opposite batter's box you know so I said that in a blog and um Red Sox fans, ironically enough, are like, you're the biggest idiot ever. No one's ever said that ever. So I got the White Sox. Um, I got the, I know the White Sox director of scouting. He's like the, the boss of every scout in the White Sox system. And I'm like, hey, am I an idiot here? And he's like, no. I'm like, all right, can you come on, on our podcast tonight and like tell people this? So he did. And he's like, you're absolutely right. It's much easier to, you know, teach someone to be more aggressive than to be patient. I agree um, with that. So Mankata, I like his numbers at face value this year weren't great. Like he hit 230 or whatever with a 310 on base, whatever it was, like a 700 OPS. But like the strikeout lookings, like if if as the second it clicks for him and it he starts turning on these fastballs, which he he would do here and there, and he would just murder the ball. And yeah, he did it a few times against the Red Sox. He kills yeah, he the Red a Sox times against the Red Sox. Yeah. And when he does that, it's just like, why don't you do that more often? And uh, like, I'm, I'm so fully convinced, even after he had like a kind of pedestrian season that he's going to be a superstar. Like I've there, there's never been a player that has came up for the White Sox where I'm like convinced that he's going to be just awesome in every single way. He's raw. So it's going to take him some time. But um, his ceiling is just absurd. I cannot wait until next year. And I'm, I'm guaranteeing multiple all-star appearances for him, a big contract down the road for him. He is 1,000% the White Sox second baseman of the future, and he's going to be just a, a stud in every single way. Yeah, I mean, he's going to – I think he's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to hit – you know, 35 home runs and bat 300 all at once. He no, might I, don't, I don't think he'll ever bat 300. I think uh, a very – consistent slash line year to year for him will be like yep. 280. He'll get on base at like a 370 clip and he'll, he'll hit 30 home runs a few different times. And then he can apps. They told him they stopped telling they once the second half came, they told him to stop stealing bases. They didn't want to like break a leg or so. I mean, stealing bases isn't easy. It's not just like, you can't just be fast and run. And, no, it's an art form. There's, there's yeah, a whole thing to form. it. It's like anything else is. And, um, but they did tell him like, "Hey, we don't we don't need you stealing right now. Like, we can we'll get to that point when we're trying to win baseball games, you know." So, but I mean, twenty twenty with a two eighty and getting on base at a crazy clip for a second baseman. What more can you want, you know? Oh, not much. I mean, he's similar to for Red Sox fans. I mean, Devers catches catches a lot of you know flack here and there for his defense, but Adrian Beltre was a disaster his first couple of years at third base, and he was an absolute vacuum later on and you oh, can teach that but yeah absolutely absolutely 
And Austin knows all about that living down in Texas. I mean, he grew up watching that guy. So, you know, young guys like that, you could teach them the better throughout the year defensively as well. Yeah. So I I love Mankata. There's nothing on planet Earth that would make me want to do that trade over. I mean, and you got you have three guys that are going to wind up helping this organization. I mean, and if Diaz could ever figure it out, maybe even four, but I don't think that's happening at this point. I know. He, uh, ironically enough, he was down in Arizona last week in Instructs, like throwing his first baseball of the entire year. And it was like three pitches and they pulled him for an injury. So, oh, great. Jesus. Yeah. He was a wild card from the get go. But I mean, if he would have turned into like a seventh or eighth inning guy, awesome. But, you know, whatever. All right. We're going to we're going to jump to shortstop just because this is a guy that really intrigues me. And this contract that if Austin he even becomes, oh, I love Tim Henderson for some reason. I don't know why, because he strikes out a crap ton. But Tim Anderson, love. Uh, so what, what's your thoughts on Tim Anderson? He's got a really good contract if he even becomes remotely anything because he's locked down for years to come. Right, yeah. Um, like the dumb White Sox fans are really pissed off at that contract because it was given to him before he had really proven himself. But all that white, all that contract did was it, w- it was beneficial. I mean, they did it with Sale. They did it with Nate Jones, who it hasn't really worked out for because he's been hurt. They did it with Jose Quintana. Um, it's a perfect deal that a lot of teams are going to start to emulate. The Cubs even did it with Anthony Rizzo. Um, it's Basically, it just buys out your Arbiers instead of, you know, you're, so it, it, it guarantees you make $8 million, $10 million, whatever it is he's making per year um, instead of 500000 And it gives the White Sox two extra years on the end of when you would be free agent eligible. So it's a win-win for everybody. It, it's like, even if he fizzles out, it's like a, what, eight-year, $25 million deal or something? Something around that range. It's, yeah, it's it basically, six, what it basically does is the fact that it's always going to be below what a market value shortstop is when you hit exactly. And that exactly. was smart. I don't know why more people don't do it. That's what the White Sox did with Chris Sale, too. They made him a rich man. And they he was under the best con- – he still is under the best contract in all of baseball. Absolutely. It's so one, it's that's such a really safe confident. Thing. He's great at that. Um, yeah, you might have the best GM for signings. That, I oh, think. I think you have to because the last two years, yeah, yeah, he's a Harvard Law guy. Um, yeah. went to Michigan and Northwestern for his other degrees, whatever they were in. So he's a smart guy in that sense. Yeah, and the big thing about those deals that you know you said idiot White Sox fans, and we have idiot Red Sox fans too that look at it, at least. Yeah, exactly. And the big thing for me is the last two years when he's 30 and 31, they're club options. They don't have to pay him. No, they don't have to pay him. Just like with Sale and Quintana. And that's huge because if he blows, you get him out of there for nothing. But if he's there, you can turn it into Moncada and Kopech like they they would Sale. You know, they got a good return for Quintana as well, which, you know, that that deal is looking great for them. Quintana struggled with the White Sox, I mean with the Cubs. So, you know, it works out really well. And think about it. If those players, Quintana and uh, Sale, weren't inked to those deals, they wouldn't have returned what they did. A big reason they had so much trade value is because they were on the cheapest deals of all time for what they provided as pitchers. Yeah, because the contract provides value by itself. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about a guy that's just blown through the system, probably going to start in, I would think, Birmingham, if maybe even higher. Nick Madrigal has been absolutely incredible. Since he yeah. got drafted. 
Like, what, what's your thoughts on him? How long is it going to take? And um, when do you think I he'll mean, be up? So I don't know if you guys listen to my podcast at all. I would understand if you didn't since it's very, very Chicago-centric. But um, when he got drafted, uh, I texted Carl like Sox just took uh, Magical. And he was, like, beyond thrilled because he's like, I've seen this kid play a hundred different times, like on TV and whatnot. That kid is just a baseball player in every sense. He's five seven, a buck seventy or something like that. And that, I mean, that's program height, so he's probably even a little smaller. Yeah, he's out too big, probably. He did five strikeouts in two hundred at bats or whatever it was. Um, just puts nothing. Puts the bat on the ball, no matter who's pitching, and apparently plays Gold Glove defense and. Um, See, they'll, obviously, his thing is, is is the power going to come? I have watched him swing a bunch of times. His swing is not conducive to hitting the ball over the fence. But if he can just make a little, little adjustment, just get a slight uppercut in his swing where he's getting a lift under the ball. and he's Because you don't need to be tall or big to hit a home run. You need to know how to swing the ball through or swing the bat through the zone and make contact. Exactly. If he just can make a little tweak or two and hit 12 or 15 bombs a year, if that, and then swipe 40 bases, that's a, I mean, with the gold glove defense, he's apparently able to provide like, they're going to, they're already moving him to shortstop from what I, what I've heard. Um, Not because of anything Anderson's done, but obviously his best value will be at shortstop if he can provide those numbers. So um, that's Trey Turner right there extremely polished player carl said that he wouldn't be surprised if he's up in may next year i don't think that is going to happen probably more like 2020 but he'll fly through the system yeah my eyes Absolutely. just got big when you said may i was like holy crap yeah, yeah i, I could do that if the Sox were, were like dead set on competing right now but they're not so they're going to take their time with them and not burn service time and all that but um he yeah he'll fly through the system could he yeah, play I mean, third? Do you think? I don't. I don't know if his arm's strong enough. But um, apparently, it's strong enough to play short. So maybe yeah. it is strong. But I mean, at the corners, you want someone who can drop bombs. He's never going to drop bombs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, his, he, his fielding's great. I mean, what has he got? Sixty fielding grade. I mean, that's yeah. That's, he, it's really good, and obviously, he's athletic enough to be moved over. Yeah, I mean, he's looking like another Trey Turner for you. Which, I mean, imagine that's a good comp right there. That would be. That would be. I'd be thrilled with that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you got a guy like that, that would be unbelievable. So we know second base right now and the future is Mankata. We know the future for, you know, shortstop most likely is Nick. Third base currently. You're running with uh, Sanchez, I believe it is? Uh, No. Well, I mean, by default, yes. By default, yes. Yeah. But he's not your future. No. Who is your future third baseman if you had – if you got to call your buddy – you know, the wonderful GM out there in Chicago, who would you pick up the phone and say? Well, they drafted uh, Jake Berger out of Missouri State. Another, So Jake Berger, literally the exact opposite build of Nick Magical. He's like 6'2". Yeah, yeah, he's chunky. He's a little fat guy. Yeah, he's over 200 pounds. He looks like Schwarber, kind of. Yeah, he's kind of like Schwarber. But um, he's actually, he's he's a good athlete, but he tore his Achilles twice this year. Oof. Yeah, back to back, same Achilles. Um, I don't know how that happens. I I talk to him semi regularly, but uh, I'm not gonna be like, hey, how the fuck do you do that? You know? Yeah, yeah. But, can, um, you, can you stop fucking doing that, please? 
Exactly. I'm not going to say anything like that. But uh, they drafted him 11th overall, I want to say, out of Missouri State. And another similar profile doesn't strike out at all. Obviously, he has power. Um, Nick Hostetler said that they drafted him because they thought he was the best power bat in the entire draft class that year. Um, so, obviously, him tearing his Achilles, it kills a year of development, probably two years of development, if we're being honest. And you don't know how a player is going to rebound from that. I mean, I know baseball is not like football or basketball. It's not like necessarily an explosive. Yeah, it's not all explosion, exactly. But um, I, he was the guy that they were hoping would eventually take over third base or if not be trade bait down the road. Um, now White Sox, they they have no money on the books for the coming years. I mean, if they especially if they trade Abreu. So – um, White Sox fans are like dead set on just handing Manny Machado a blank check, saying, "Put a number down." Here, you do like, want Machado? Oh, one thousand percent. Put yeah. it on the put it on the books. I know it's hard not. I to. haven't listened to your podcast in a little bit, to be honest. But I read all your stuff, and I, you know, I think Machado or Harper is the fit there, and Machado makes more sense than Harper because of your outfield prospects that you have. Yeah. It seems like you only guys draft you guys draft guys throw gas and outfielders. That's what it really looks like, which is good, obviously. I mean, those are the positions you need. You need to fill pitching. There's a lot of pitchers out there and three outfielders compared to, you know, one middle infielder here and there. Yeah, they um, – I mean, like I've looked it up a, f- a few different times as different transactions have been made around the league. It pains me, pains me, pains me to say this, but the Yankees are in an unbelievable financial position uh, after this year. Oh, yeah, they are. Um, a Rod's, they're no longer paying A Rod after this year, um, so that contract's you know off the books. They're they're walking into next year with like an eighty-five million dollar uh, payroll. The White Sox is going to be like thirty-five. So obviously, but teams like the Cubs are in, they're extremely tight with money right now. I mean, assuming that they don't want to pay an um, insane luxury tax moving forward. Um, same with the Dodgers. The Red Sox are up there. Um, but the Yankees, man, they they legit could say, here's four hundred million dollars to Machado and then give I mean, they couldn't they there's no way they could get both Harper and Machado without paying it'd be like a hundred and twenty million a year after the third year of the luxury tax. So but they could legit get Corbin. And oh, they're one. getting Corbin. I've already sold they're, myself on that. Yeah, they're going to get Corbin and Machado because they're going to move on from CC. I think they move on from Didi. He's not worth $20 million. He's going to want $20 million as UFA. And now that he had Tommy John, damaged goods, and I think Yankee Stadium makes him. Manny is the perfect Yankee through and through. Corbin fits right behind Seve. It just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, they and they, they could legit do it. So that's Han's got – and I know Han's been working on a sales pitch for Machado. It's going to it's gonna end up going down to the highest bidder. And the White Sox will probably get priced out. Uh, I mean, because is any player on earth worth that much money? I don't know. Nope. It's not really for probably me. Probably not. Like, do you give Machado $30 million? Market value is 26 Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're going to have to overpay for him for sure because yeah. they put themselves in such – like, who wants to come to a team that you don't know exactly if they're going to be good or bad? I mean, hypothetically, they should be, but – in a, you know, and in a year or two, but that's not a given at the same time. So Hans got himself an extremely difficult winner ahead of him on that front. But yeah, third base, 
as far as prospects go is definitely the 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 weak link as it sits right now because because of the burger injury that said they still got the third pick in next year's draft who knows who they're going to take there's going to be so much movement i mean it's not even worth looking at you know mock drafts right now there's going to be guys that you've never heard of that go top 10 so yeah of course but but yeah third third base is the it's the weak link and yomer sanchez not it not in the least bit that's good to say. Well, let's as go. Good of a fielder as, yes, because he's an unbelievable. He's a great fielding defensive player. And he's got a good contract, which is just, you know, yeah, I mean, he's under his arbitration yeah. years, team controls, all that fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's going into ARB this year. He'll probably get $5 million or whatever it is. Yeah. Double his salary from 2.3. Yeah. Something like that. The contract's half the battle if we're really thinking about it. Oh, it's all the battle at this point. In, in this day and age, it, it's the contract. You got to get the sweetheart deal or you got to get guys young and. And mix them in like a Gary Sanchez, like an Aaron Judge, that are you right. know this great deal on a team already flourishing. Yeah, it's like like fans and I, I and I try to like like you said. So over the last few years, I've been I I've been forced to really narrow or zero in on the White Sox and not just White Sox, like all of baseball's minor league systems, and it goes back to you don't you don't buy players you buy wins and you want to get the most efficient use out of your money possible and that's why the A's have been so good this year that's why they've you know obviously they're under such different budget restrictions as compared to the rest of baseball that like they're going to have the really bad years but every few years they're going to put it all together and they're going to be awesome obviously they went one and done in the in the uh, wild card game this year but I mean they're the best team in the second half this year yeah, them in the Rays, which is yeah, them know, in the Rays. 20, 20 more days in the Rays. Yeah. yeah, another team sounds very similar to that. So yeah, that's like that's what I'm looking at. Like these these guys that can come in and perform similarly for much cheaper, so you can't afford to drop you know three hundred and fifty million dollars on a Machado type player. So let's uh let's get to the exciting part. This outfield has prospects for days. What is all the day. even the top two could be all stars within the next five years? Between Robert, Eloy, yeah, I mean, and Eloy, Eloy might be, yeah, he Eloy, was, Eloy, Eloy might just be. He might be an all-star next year. Yeah, yeah. He, he very well could be. He's going to walk into Major League Baseball and just mash baseballs to the moon. Yeah. So, who is the opening day outfield for the Chicago White Sox? Do you think it's Eloy won't be in it for money and contractual and control reasons? Yeah, basically like Vladdy at this point. By no fault of the White Sox. Yeah, just like Vlad. Vlad Jr. Um, I know I know players are getting pissed at it. That is nothing they can get pissed at because that is collectively bargained, and they can look to Tony Clark to get pissed at the guy that represents them. But um, but yeah, it's, I mean, opening day. I don't know, Ingle, uh, Cordell probably, who's actually a very good athlete in his own right. I actually really like him. He's just a little older for a prospect. Um, and then I don't know whoever else. I couldn't even tell you who who else. There's just so many people. I mean, you have a ton on their contract on top of obviously, you know, the guard. You get two Garcias, which is always <laughs> yeah, always great. I, I hope Garcia's long. Abisal Garcia. I hope he's gone. Oh, oh, so you do hope he's gone? Yeah. He, I mean, 27 years old, coming up on his last RB year. So it's kind of like a Castillo or an Abreu. You either sign him long term, and he bees that. Grandpa of the team. He's not that. 
the, I, what I think they're going to end up doing is they do tender him a deal. Yep. Um, I doubt it goes to arbitration because he was hurt this year and he has no leverage. Yeah, he so, played all this year, 236. Um, no. Yeah, how many games did he even play this year? Like 60? Uh, got up to 90. 90, okay, 90 games. Yeah. Uh, half his, uh, one more, yeah. half his season. Yeah. Um, well, he was really – I mean, he actually flashed the power – that everybody thought he was going to flash. He hit like 17 or 18 bombs in those 90 games. Yeah, he hit his most home runs in, in the in shortest career amount of yet, time. In the shortest right. amount of time, which is backwards. But he didn't get on base at all. I want to say it was like a 280 clip. He hit like 230. Yep. Didn't walk. He's in a, eh, He's he's gotten better in the outfield. But um, everybody knew that was going to happen. His like if I'm not an advanced stat guy. I, I reference them, but... All the numbers that said he was going to regress from last year when he hit 330 or whatever it was, 331, I think was the exact number. Um, like you, you knew he wasn't going to have that same year. Um, I think what they're going to try to do is they're going to tender him a deal. Hope he starts off the season healthy and on fire again, like he did in 2017. Then they deal him away for whatever. I mean, they're not going to get anything for him. They, I know they tried to trade him last off season coming off a 330. He led the league in hitting, I want to say, the American League. And uh, they're going to – I mean, they're going to try to get what they can for him, you know? You think they could package a guy like him to Castillo and try and get a decent piece? That's Yeah, something like that maybe. Um, yeah, I, makes something sense. Like that. Yes. I mean, it'll, it'll, it's, it's never going to be like – I mean, maybe a back-end top 100 guy or something yeah. like that. Yeah, a, a prayer type of guy in the back mm-hmm. there. You never know. So I guess my most exciting thing about this – you have one of the people that I – you don't like the Red Sox. I hate the Tampa Bay Rays. I hate Joe Madden. They're going to be hate, good, man. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. They're going to be a problem. I hate, I hate Kevin yeah, Cash. They're going to be a pain in the AL East and the big boys' ass these next couple of years. I, yeah. The worst part is when they're winning 50 games, they won 25 against the Sox and 25 against the Yankees, it felt like, every year. They've always been a pain. That third base fucking side with Longoria has been rotting me for years. He's been killing me. Finally got him out of there. And then they just get really good from everywhere else. They had one of the best trades, getting off topic a little bit, but that Tommy Pham trade, how? How did they get him for what they got him for on his contract? I, I don't get it. I think from, I mean, so being in Chicago, I I wish I could like the Cardinals, but there's such cocksuckers that I can't. <laughs> They're, they're I, literally I, the worst. I, hey, I mean, I'm with you with the so, Rays. I almost want to like the Rays for what they do with what they got, but I can't stand their egos and personalities down there. The the Cardinals fans are the biggest douchebags ever. Oh, biggest, so, yeah, absolutely. I wish I I wish I could like them as they're the Cubs' biggest rival by far. I know the Brewers are great this year and everything, but um, it, the the Cardinals are the are the natural rivals for the Cubs. So I wish I could like them. But I guess all the whispers in Chicago, at least, were that Tommy Pham wore out his welcome there. Other GMs knew that, so they weren't going to give the Cardinals anything for him. So. That's crazy to think about. But the, the reason I brought up the Rays and everything like that, you got big games, James. James Shields, uh, <laughs> y- you know, one more year left. He's under a club option. First question, do you bring him back? I... Well, they're they're absolutely turning. They're not picking up that option. Yeah, they're not going to pick up the option. He's not worth the sixteen. No, you bring him no. back as it's, like a depth guy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised after the Kopech injury if they do that. Um, but at the same time, I think they're going to look to fill that with someone that 
could potentially be a flip piece. I mean, if they bring him back for $2 million to come and throw 100 innings, whatever, because I don't think they're going to be a playoff team next year. They might, they're going to, they're going to be a lot better next year than they were this year. You for, play in the weakest division in baseball, so anything can happen. Well, that is very true. I, I would love them to go for it this offseason because the Indians are on the downswing. Big the, time. Um, the Royals stink. Yep. The Tigers stink. Oh, yeah. You know, the Twins stink. Yeah, the Twins had one good year. I mean, they, they really do stink. So, James Shields, you bring back, obviously. Before the Kopech injury, another guy that was in the Chris Sale trade, another guy that Red Sox fans know very well. Your starting three next year was mostly going to look something like Gilito, Rondon, and Kopech. No specific order. But those are going to be your three guys, most likely. We got Rondon. We got Gilito. You know, Shields, maybe. Maybe he's like a number five guy. Who fills out the rest of that rotation starting day? Who's, who's your one through five? Well, I would love to see the guy who started for the Red Sox come to the White Sox next offseason. He's a free agent. I think he would be a perfect fit for that team next year. Are you you're alluding to Avaldi? Yeah, Avaldi. I yeah. I would love the White Sox to go after him next this offseason. Um, I have you no want idea. David Price because you can have David Price. We'll keep Avaldi. <laughs> you can have David Price. I, mean, I don't think the White Sox want to pay two hundred seventeen. The remainder of a two hundred seventeen million dollar deal for over thirty pitcher. We don't even. Want <laughs> I to wish pay the Red it. Sox would. Yeah, no one does. I mean, Avaldi would be a perfect guy there. For you guys. Yeah, I think I I do. I'm I'd be really surprised if the White Sox don't make a concerted offer uh, effort to sign that very specific pitcher, Nathan Eovaldi. Um, he would be he would fit perfectly in that rotation. Um, I don't. I mean, a lot of people are saying Dallas Keuchel because he's a he's a free agent this year too. I don't. I I don't want Dallas Keuchel. I don't. I would not want why. anything to do with Dallas Keuchel. He's on the back end of thirty. He's shown. He's worn. He's not what he used to be. No. He, I don't know if that's a hot take to say that, but I like tonight when the Red Sox came up, like I texted my buddy, I said, we can get to Dallas easy. And I'm just not afraid of Dallas Keuchel anymore. He's not who he was three years ago. No, not at all. He was a short-lived ace. And yeah. someone's going to pay him for what he used to be. Yep. Not what that's he baseball, could though. Yeah, that's that's no, that, that is absolutely baseball. Um but Eovaldi, I, I mean, three years. I mean, I would. I haven't looked at what similar pitching profiles have signed for over the last few years. But this is a complete guess. I would guess that he signs for something like three years. How old is he, Eovaldi? Oh, he's not he's old. Not. He's under thirty. He's like I want to say he's twenty-seven, twenty-eight off the top of my head. I don't. Uh, I think the days of giving David Price deals are done. Yeah. So I, I would. Wouldn't it be surprised if, like, six he's got, say six years left in his in his career as a pitcher who throws a hundred, if that's chopped up into two three year deals, so three years like fifty million dollars, I would I would be all over that for the White Sox. And that's a huge increase. He's made four million dollars in, in in like the last two years. He signed a one year two million dollar, yeah, you know, show me yeah. deal this year. It and, was a show me deal for sure. Yeah, prove a deal for sure, and. Obviously, he proved it. He's proved it in the postseason. He proved it in the regular season, minus one hiccup against the Orioles on a shitty night. Didn't even matter, whatever. You know, besides that, where he gave up a million runs in two and a watch, two. Um, watch the Astros sign him and turn him into yeah. Cy Young with like a million spin rate. Spin rate oh, God. yeah, the spin rate, the spin rate gods down there. And he's, I mean, I'm hoping the Red Sox bring him back for whatever it may be, a year, a two, a three-year deal. He would fit perfectly in that rotation, especially with Porcello leaving, and we're not going to re-sign Porcello, especially at that that contract. But 
So he would fit in there. That's a very specific guy you're talking about. Keiko, stay away from Corbin. I think we're kind of. I think everybody in the world thinks he's going to New York. I think he's going to New York. The Yankees, obviously, like that. So if you miss out on Evaldi and you miss out on Corbin, you're going to bring guys back like a Shields or someone like well, that kind of fill well, the bottom rotation. One. What about what's is is Ronaldo Lopez ever going to be what White Sox fans want him to be? Yeah, great I, question. Okay, look up if you look up his splits, he was having trouble trying to um, put put hitters away this year. I want to say in the first half of the year, his uh, strikeouts per nine was like six, which is for someone who he throws legit. He'll he'll hit a hundred. So like, where where how does that correlate? Why does he not strike people out? He didn't have good uh, secondary stuff. The second half of the season, he developed a really good change and a really good cutter that was de- uh, generating swings and misses. And I want to say his, his uh, uh, strikeout per nine spiked to like 8.8 per nine. And he uh, he has balls the size of my forehead. Him <laughs> and Julia are literally polar opposites per- personality-wise. Like Lopez sees Mike Trout at the batter's box. He wants to strike him out. I mean, he, there's going to be games where he gives up four or five dingers. It's Chris because, Sale attitude, basically. He doesn't give yeah, a fuck who's up. Yeah. He's, he's, he's his mentality. I love watching him pitch. Um, I don't think he'll ever be an ace, but he'll definitely be a guy that is just a great. I mean, not, I don't know great, but a more Solid. than serviceable. You love to see him take the ball every five days out of the third or fourth, you know, third or fourth slot in the rotation. So, um, yeah, I, I I was exceptionally pleased with the year he had, and he wasn't walking too many guys either. Obviously, as a young as a young pitcher, there would be the games where he'd go out there and walk four, five, six guys, whatever. But he also had multiple games where he'd pitch into the eighth, have eight, nine strikeouts, no walks, limit you know hard contact, get cheap hit or cheap con- or weak contact rather, and. Yeah, I, I loved watching him pitch because he would go out there and get fired up and everything. He was he was fun to watch. I love him. So that that's another thing. I think people forget about the Adam Eaton trade at this point, about how bad that was for Washington. Another See, great trade know. by the White Sox. Adam, there. Okay, we were talking. We're talking about contracts, right? Adam Eaton. Look up the contract that Rick Hahn signed him to. It was five. Oh, it, was, years, it was good. Five years, twenty three million. I want to say. And that's a guy who plays exceptional outfield defense. He hit, He's good for 15 bombs a year. He'll hit 300 every year, and he'll get on base 370 every year. Adam Eaton on that contract is why the White Sox got what they got for him. Yep, because he's on the con- it's the same exact contract as Sale, as Quintana, as Tim Anderson. Exactly. He's on the contract until so 32. Adam, the last wait, years. I mean, I, Adam Eaton is a borderline all-star. He's a perfect top-of-the-order hitter on any team. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's the Red Sox or the Royals, you know. Um, but, I mean, his contract necessitated that type of return. Yeah, absolutely. And with the, and with the club options, again, you know, it's, it's the White Sox, you know, the casual White Sox fan thinks that you guys have no plan and that these are just ridiculous numbers. But they're great. The White Sox did fleece them in a way for getting back what they got on a guy that yeah one and two in their system exactly it's crazy and they keep doing it that so, that trade was exactly what the um the Nationals offered for sale plus um their outfield prospect what the hell's his name Robles Soto? Or- uh, yeah 
globalists. Yeah. yeah Everybody probably. they are asking for, because the Nationals didn't want to give up those four pieces for sale, but they ended up giving up three of them anyways for, for uh, Eaton. Yeah, and if Sale was on the that Washington rotation, right now. Holy crap. Yeah, that rotation would be scary. So I'm thinking then, you know, starting next year, it's going to be Rondon, Giolito, Lopez, and probably a Shield type of guy. Obviously, if you could get an Evaldi or a Corbin, that'd be great. 2020 looks great. I mean, 2019 looks great. Or 2020, yeah, that's what it is. 2020, when it's going to be Kopech, Rondon, Giolito, Lopez is your one through four. That's something to look forward to as a White Sox fan. Yeah, um, I... I am of the opinion that so the White Sox last big trade chip is Carlos Rodon and he's a Boris guy. He's not going to sign the Chris Sale, Adam Eaton type deals before he's a free agent. He is going to go and command as much money, money as humanly possible when he is a free agent. But the thing with him is he's always hurt. He's always hurt. He's never pitched a full season. Um, from everything I've heard, he doesn't stay in the best shape in the offseason. He likes to hunt. He doesn't like to, you know, he's not a gym rat like Michael Kopech. Yeah. But um, I would not be surprised if the White Sox ended up dealing him knowing that he is there. I mean, other than like, you know, they're not going to trade Mankata or Eloy or any of those guys. But their last, because he's he's got, I want to say, two more RB years after this year, Redonda's. Yeah, so, I think it's two or three more years. Yeah. Yeah. So this he, he's this is going to be his first arbitration year. Yep, so yeah, yeah. Two, two more, more after years that. after this. Yep. So, um, I mean, three more years. What are you? I mean, he's a college pitcher, so it's not like they had him in the system when he was eighteen years old. So he, I mean, he did come up quick. So he came up as a twenty-two year old. I don't know. Do you want to sign a huge a pitcher like that? That's has a hard time staying healthy to a big deal because he's only going to be in the White Sox rotation as of now for a year or two of their contention window. So I don't know. Do they trade him or do they extend him? I would that, trade him. I would, I would trade him. Yeah. I would absolutely trade him. He's just got to pitch 200 healthy innings in a row. Yeah. Good well, luck. Yeah, how long yet. until, how long until Cease is ready down in, down in Birmingham? Oh, he's flying through the system. I he'll he'll be up next year. I mean, I'm looking at his single A numbers, and that that's ridiculous. And then his double A numbers are better. I mean, well, you got to take that with a small grain of salt because um, Win, uh, Winston Salem is an extreme hitters park, and then Birmingham is an extreme pitchers park. So naturally, the numbers are going to be, you know, skewed a little bit because of that. But um, I, I so this is goes to show how fucking weird I was about the minor league system. I bought the minor league package and I would literally have three windows up like uh, Winston Salem, Birmingham and Charlotte for, I, I bought it. It was like 10 bucks for the entire season. You could watch any yeah, game. It's amazing. And uh, I would watch every C star and that kid is electric, electric. He is going to be so, so filthy in this league. He's going to be, I mean, assuming he stays healthy, which you can't ever do it with a pitcher. He is going to be a, all-star, you know, five, eight times over. He is awesome. That rotation is going to be so young here in a second. It already is young, yeah. but still. It's, yeah, it's, already, it's, going to be, it's going to be competitive and young in a second because guys like Giolito's struggled, right? Had a yeah, better I, I, half. It's going to look like the 2015 Mets. Yeah. No, that's that's, very good. What, I mean, you don't, I don't think it's a good idea to build around pitching, but the pitching they have paired with the offensive, you know, potential they have in their system – 
is it's absurd right now. Yeah, they have they're, they're, your stars are set between who you have now on the actual roster and then obviously who you have down the minors. What's up with your bullpen? Because it's it's always kind of like confused me, I guess. You got guys like Nate Jones, Danny Farquhar, obviously like a Jake Peavy, whoever, you know, random names have been in and out, and that's fine. But who's your 789 next year? Who's your 789 in a couple of years? Is more, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna tell you everything you need to know about this right now. Wow, I'm excited. I'm ready for this. Nate Jones, another awesome deal at the yep. time that it was inked. I want to say five years, eight million. Uh, I mean, it was five. Yeah, no, three, eight, three, eight. Three eight. Okay. So three years, eight million. When that was signed, he was legitimately like a lights, lights out eighth inning guy, future closer. Like and if you're looking to move that contract for something better, like at the deadline, because deadline, like relief pitching at the deadline always fetches a bigger return than it does in the offseason, obviously. Um like that that was a guy that they were counting on to be like their future closer. He's had Tommy John since then. He's had shoulder surgery, back surgery, can't stay healthy. He's also over 30 now, I want to say, or close to oh, it. Oh, yeah. He's 30, turning 33, I think. Is he, is he really that old already? Yeah. And he has he has a UCL um, clause in his contract, too. Something what is, about— What is this? I didn't know—I've never heard this. I think his contract—let me, let me see. If Jones needs UCL surgery prior to 2018, the mutual option converts to a club, and all three options de-escalate. Yeah, he has that one of those was, weird mutual oh, options. Wow. That was his mutual option. They were option. basically counting on him to get—I I never knew that. Yeah, so his, so his club option is for next year and the year after that, and then it is a mutual option. So you don't have to pick him back up. He's on the hook for 4.6 if you do. Well, the White Sox are on the hook for 4.6 if you do. Are you picking him back up? Obviously, you are. But do you keep him? Do you move him? Is he a deadline yeah, I mean, guy? Or I, whatever. But they so the White Sox when okay. So the international signing rules changed two off seasons ago, where you could no longer just drop as much money as you wanted on an international player. Everybody was slotted depending on their market size. So Boston, uh, New York, Chicago teams, Los Angeles teams, they all had. Um, less money to play with on the international market than like Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Yeah, the Orioles. Those teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the White Sox dropped, they, and they had to pay, they had to double what they paid for them because of the, the tax. They dropped $26 million on Luis Robert for a uh, signing bonus. Then they had to double that for to $52 million. So um, that was the last big free agency international signing that was going to be made unless it changes in the next collective bargaining agreement, whenever that is. So the White Sox have only had 300, they're capped. They can't spend more than 300,000 player or $300,000 on any given player in the international market. So like when um, Otani was coming over, the White Sox could only offer him $300 million or $300,000. So what they have been doing since they still have like 6 million to play with, um, whatever, whatever, I, I don't know the exact number, but they have been trading international money for legit shutdown relievers that are flying Caleb through Caleb Frere from the Caleb Frere, our, our, our friend of the program. There, you, did he go on your show? Yeah, 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 yeah we are, uh, dude. He is filthy, man. I had yeah. never heard of him. I mean, you're not gonna hear it because I mean, the top prospect guys, it's always gonna be a starting pitcher or, um, you know, an offensive player. 
Um, you're, you're not going to see a lot of relievers on top 100 lists, all that stuff. So Caleb Fair, when he when he the Sox made that trade for him, I was like, okay, let's see what he he's filthy, absolutely he's filthy, and the dude has had some bad luck in his life. Oh he, yeah, you're going to hear about he, that. He. Austin, you tell him. Tell him, tell him so some of the things. He 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 what? He had Tommy John surgery, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Came back from that, tore a muscle in his quad, and then once yep. he got back from that, hit one of his teammates' wives hit first him with day. the truck. First day in the parking lot. Yeah, first day in the parking lot. Teammates' wife hit him with the truck, and then he had to get his gallbladder out once he recovered from that. The dude is oh. just yeah. He he was he recovered from that getting hit you know, in the back, and then he's driving home, cross-country, doesn't feel good. He's 21 years old at the time, you know, young kid, and his stomach's hurting, stomach goes to urgent care, gallbladder's failing, got to get his gallbladder removed. So he has surgery, gets his gallbladder removed, all all in a span of like a year or two. We, it, we're thinking of putting the interview on, yeah, we're thinking of putting the interview on the bottom of the, after this, just to kind of link it together so we can just win the hearts of White Sox Nation over. Yeah, the, I mean, the White Sox guys, they'll all love this because White Sox fans have turned into prospect nuts. That's what we were talking about. We were yeah. talking about the diehard, the smaller market teams, not even the smaller market teams, the, the teams that aren't good right now. You know, some of them have a plan. I don't think Kansas City really has that great of a plan, personally. They with Merrifield this year. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know why they didn't either. I don't think the Reds have a good plan. They're they're dumpster fire. San Diego's yeah, a good the one, though. Orioles are going to be bad for, for yep. everyone. Yeah, the, the Orioles are going to be bad. San Francisco's going to be bad. Because they're just they're just holding. They, they keep bringing missed. back the 2013 All Star team every every year now. You know, teams like the White Sox, teams like the San Diego. Padres. Yeah. Yep, they're they're the teams that are you know so exciting to watch because of the future and the prospects of the great. Frere's an awesome guy, great guy to talk to, and he's gonna be up pitching for sure. He's a big dude too. He yeah, struck out my favorite player. He, he got called up this year and he was good. Yeah, he struck out Swihart and JBJ in his first uh, first appearance. Yeah, he's he's legit. His fastball. Um, I'm horrible with names. Who was the closer? They, they, the Orioles just traded him to the Yankees. It's like uh, Britain. Britain, Britain. When he was good, like his fastball, it was like trying to hit a bowling ball. Just a heavy, heavy, heavy sinking left-handed fastball. Yes, dude, that's who Caleb Frey reminds me of. Yeah. And then the White Sox have another kid, Jace Fry. They drafted him in the third or fourth round. Uh, like three years ago. He's a two-time Tommy John survivor, I want to say, out of um, uh, Oregon, yeah, Oregon State. And um, he, if you want to look up his numbers, uh, his ERA was a little inflated, but his strikeout numbers were absurd. Um, his sliders, like on fan graphs the other day, they said it was one of the most unhittable pitches in baseball this year. And he'll be just unhittable um, against left-handed hitting. Then they had they did the same thing. They traded international money for Ryan Burr, Arizona State guy. He was like a fifth round draft pick as a reliever. Um, he's flown up. He he got touched around a little bit when he got uh, called up this year, but 97, 99, awesome curveball, good changeup, good command, really big burly kid, someone who should be able to handle a full season's workload regularly. Then they have Ian Hamilton, a Washington State kid. They drafted him in the 10th round, and they were, like, shocked that he fell to them. Um, he flew through the system. He is electric in every sense of the word. Um, then they traded more international money that they literally couldn't spend on to the Rays for Hunter Shriver, another just a pitcher who's supposed to fly through the system. So um, what they did with all of those players is 
kind of it, it, it allowed them flexibility, hopefully to not have to drop, you know, a ton of prospect capital or financial capital on, say, a player like uh, Andrew Miller in the future when they are competing because they'll already have those guys inked to six, seven hundred thousand dollar deals in the year that they're playing. So um, and it's allowed them financial flexibility to say, hey, we have all of these guys who are pitching for pennies on the dollar that and we can, you know, go and sign Manny Machado or whoever, whatever X player they want. And they can maybe overpay because these guys are making such little money. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's that's the philosophy at this point. I would say from an outside perspective, just from a baseball nerd myself, you know, just from someone that loves watching contracts, loves watching prospects. The bullpen's probably the biggest question mark for the White Sox coming up. Everything else kind of set no, in place. Honestly, I think the like I I'm the exact opposite. I think next year their bullpen's going to be lights out with these guys. Really? You think? Oh, you think they're going to be ready I mean, next year? This is why it's great to have you on. Next yeah, year, seriously, I thought they were ready in like two or three years. That's why no, I was saying that. All, a lot of these guys pitched this year towards the end of the year. They called them all up: Ian Hamilton, Frere, um, Tiago Vieira, who they traded for international money to the Mariners for. He he got called up this year. He throws 100. He's got a great 80 fastball. Um, these are all guys that legit could be shut down relievers, shortening games for your starting pitchers, and they're going to be pitching in the sixth inning, you know, and they all have legit closer stuff. Oh, that's awesome. See, I thought they were a couple years away. That's No, these guys These guys are all up next year. I think next year their bullpen is going to be, one, like, one of the better bullpens in the league. Oh, perfect. That's what – that. I mean, hey, that's why we have you on because I was looking, thinking a year or two away for Frere, Hamilton, and a couple of those other guys. All right, so last last position that we have to talk about, not a position at all, honestly, designated hitter, Matt Davidson. What do you think? He's under contract until what I can see is 2022. Looks like a pretty good deal for Matt Davidson. I mean, he – so Matt Davidson is – if, like, he's got, like, lumberjack forearms. If you groove a ball down the middle and he times it up, you can hit the ball to the moon. Um, he actually – he walked at a good clip this year, I want to say – he had like close to an 800 OPS, but just a strikeout machine. Can't play the field. I he's he's very frustrating for to me to watch hit for me. Um, I don't particularly like him. Uh, I mean, I, he's not he's not going to be on the team when they're trying to compete. He's already older. He he used to be a, a, a well-regarded prospect with the. Um, uh, Diamondbacks back when he was drafted, he was like a top 50 prospect, but yeah, he was a first round pick. Yeah. First round pick. Like there's just too much, too much swing and miss that is not correctable for him. And I don't know. He, he's just frustrating to me. The guy that everybody loves on the South side, literally the fan base fell in love with him this year was Daniel Polka. Um, waiver claim from Minnesota. Um, it, I want to say he's 25, 26 years old. Um, he's on a pre-arb deal. He's making half a million dollars. He's yep, got two more years of that too. The best power I've ever seen, like grade 80 power. He's like Jim Tomey in the batter's box. He just hasn't clicked yet, but I would give him all of next year to see if he can learn to hit a left lefty slider, lefty fastball, or, um, if he can learn to walk and his minor league numbers say that he can, he walked at like a 12% clip all through the minors. And then this year, through a full season in the majors, it was like five. It was it was like half of what he um, his offensive profile through the minors was. So, um, but he he's a like I'm not saying Davidson's not because he is, but um, 
Like the fan base fell in love with him because he's just a goofy dude. Like he gives great interviews. He's always messing around with the fans like before the game and everything. Um, I would give him the entire next year and say, hey, like this is this is your make or break. Year. You're going to you're going to be 26, 27. Like it's do or die. He hit almost 30 home runs this year. Yeah, and, just under 30. Yeah. And um, I, I want to say like 28 bombs and it was pretty limited at bats. He only was seeing right handed pitching for the most part. So, yeah, he only played 100. He only started in like 100 games. Yeah. If, I mean, that's he's got legit 40 home run potential, like no problem. Oh, no problem at all. It's just it's just the the average it's just getting on base, really. I mean, his OPS was close to eight hundred already. Which yeah, is, is if he if he if he can get, you know, if he can hit two fifty with a three thirty on base and just do what he did th- uh, this past season with the power numbers, then that's something, you know, that's a nice toy to have. That's a modern day launch ankle guy through and through to just hit home runs as a DH position, which is, I don't you know, know if the launch angle thing as much as just a brute strength thing. He's built like a legit. Just a, yeah. Just, a, just like a, like an Evan Gaddis type. He's, he's okay. He's an exit below guy. Okay. And look up all the like top exit velocities in baseball. It's Aaron judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and then Daniel Polka. And 99% of baseball players will have no idea who Daniel Polka is. This sounds like, my JBJ from couple from the beginning of this year when he was smoking balls just right to people, and he just hits the shit out of the ball. White Sox fan, Red Sox fans, maybe White Sox fans too. Red Sox fans are like, the guy sucks. Like all he can do is play defense. It's like this guy smokes the ball. He just has a lot of bad luck. You know, last three months of the season he had a better clip. He was slashing better than Giancarlo. And you know, modern day, you know, whatever. You know, pink hat fans are just like, ah, you know, whatever. Look at this guy. He no, just he's not out a lot. He sucks. Yeah, exactly. It's so frustrating. Pollock seems like that guy for you. So I hope he turns out. I mean, I didn't know about him being, I don't know about you, Austin. I didn't know he was kind of like a, you know, player's player, you know, fans guy. Like, that's cool. I like that, especially. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He, like, he sends autographs. People send him, like, fan mail, and he makes sure to send everybody autographs back. And, um, I when I was out in Arizona this year, it was it was an overcast day, randomly enough, and that doesn't happen in Arizona. It's always you know not a cloud in the sky. But um, the White Sox, they're they share a stadium with the Dodgers in Arizona, and uh, it was the Reds versus the White Sox, and Daniel Polk is up. He had a random like you know how in spring training when a guy comes up to bat and he doesn't have his name on the jersey, and it's like a random offensive lineman number. Oh yeah, number eighty-three or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was so. I I've never heard of the guy before. He was a top thirty guy in the twin system, but uh, they didn't elect. They, he they they waived him for whatever reason. I don't know why. And um, he hit a ball that almost hit the right field scoreboard, which is five hundred and fifteen feet away. It, oh, okay. It went five hundred and two feet, and um. It just missed hitting the scoreboard. He it was. I, I looked at. It, I'm like, that's the farthest ball I've ever seen hit in my life. So I tweeted it. I'm like, someone get me the like numbers on this. How far that went? And people are like, they just said it went 502. So Jesus, the power's there. The power's there. He just needs to hit a little better. You know. Yeah. But, it sounds like the power's there. That's for damn sure. Yeah, the power's yeah. there. I feel you could. I feel you can teach that. You can't teach power, right? You can't teach the raw strength. No, he's like got you can teach power. You can't yeah. teach his power yeah i i feel like you can teach little things just like you can't teach speed but you can teach how to use your speed right i feel right. like you he's got the power but you can teach how to place it you know not be so aggressive all the time and See, this, go the thing is he goes oppo pretty decently well 
That, um, that, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's that, which I mean, is, now like JD Martinez. Not exactly here. dead pull. I mean, when he puts it on the ground, it's dead pull, but he, he was hitting balls out to all fields this year. So, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely intriguing. And I would give him the entire next year to see if they have something legit for the future with. He sounds extremely intriguing. Like, like Dave just said, he sounds like, in my opinion, like the Arizona version of JD Martinez, right? To where he hadn't had it completely figured out yet, but he's like one or two tools away from just being an absolute monster. Yeah, and the thing is, he's legit the worst outfielder I've ever seen. He's <laughs> <laughs> in common too. <laughs> just, you know, my my thing about JD Martinez is, he's a damn good outfielder. He's the worst, the worst route runner. He I've takes ever seen. the worst he lines ever. The worst lines. JD Martinez. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not. He's a bad outfielder. Yeah. No, no. I don't, the, overall, he's it's bad. It's awful. But, to like watch. his arm's not bad. His arm's not. Awful. No, yeah, his arm's fine. I, I mean, I like Detroit. Oh, yeah. I would watch him you know, struggle defensively. But, I mean, he's the best hitter in baseball right now, so. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no way around that. So let him let him be a slightly below average outfielder. You can live with that, you know. Especially yeah. with that outfield when he doesn't have to play the outfield. Yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, that's the best defensive outfield in baseball. Yeah, oh, with that, without a doubt. They should all win gold club. Well, JBJ should finally get his first gold glove this year. More than you can ask. defensive outfielders, he might be the worst hitter in baseball, like legit Adam Engel, but he's phenomenal out there though. Yeah, he's oh good. My God, is he a good outfielder. I mean, that might legit keep him in the league for ten years. He's so good defensively. He's Kevin Kiermeyer, basically. Like I was just yeah, I was gonna say Bucks Kiermaier, and Kiermaier at like, this point. but not even close offensively. I know yeah. Kiermaier only had what one or two good years offensively, but yeah. I mean he's he's a freak defensively. Yeah, no, he is. He's sick out there. And at least I mean, guys Yan- like Buxton have the Rob, speed. Like, three or four home runs this year against the Yankees and Yankees fans. Like, just go on Twitter and look up uh, uh, Adam Engel Yankees, and you'll get like just a scrolling list of all these Yankee Yankee fans. I fucking hate this fucking kid. Who the hell is? <laughs> because he, he he was robbing nothing but bombs off him this year. Yeah, was it in New York? Because that means they were hit what like two hundred and five feet. Yeah, it was in Chicago and New York this year. <laughs> so, Austin, do you have anything else for Dave here? White Sox related? I mean, Dave, you were unreal, man. I mean, I mean, I knew you knew your shit. Obviously, that was never a question. I just didn't. I can't believe you, you came out and just vented it all out. No, this is like I said. This is the kind of stuff I love to talk about right now because you know, I'm, I I didn't blog a lot this this year because obviously no one cares to read about Adam Engler or Matt Davidson. Hey, there's some fans in Rhode Island right here that that read about that read about it. Big big fan over here. You're writing. Appreciate that. But um, yeah, I mean the White Sox, as as much as the meathead fans across the country want to just assume they're going to be the White Sox because the White Sox have been bad for the last ten years, um, they're they're going to be really good. Caleb Frere, who did you emulate growing up in Miles City, Montana? Uh, Norm Charlton. He was a lefty reliever for the Seattle Mariners. And then Billy Wagner. Oh, Billy Wagner. What a great guy to look up after. Those yeah. are pulls. I like it. Those. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. In an interview, you said that in Montana you played with the same group of guys throughout high school. Was it different playing with a different group of guys when you got to the pros? Did it take some getting used to? Um, Not too differently. Like, we... The group that I played with in high school had been together since we were around 9 to 10 years old. And we played all the way through high school together. Um, 
never played high school baseball, so we were on the same team. It was out, Outlaw Baseball Club. But getting drafted was, was really cool, and it was a nice dynamic. You know, I had played on other teams, like showcase teams and, and whatnot. So it's not like I had only played with Outlaw Baseball Club, but the, those guys, us 12 guys, were a core group, and we had each other's backs. We knew where other guys didn't perform as well, and we knew where we had to step up a little bit to pick the other guy up. And so us 12 guys, we, we really bonded over the course of almost 10 years. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you don't that often nowadays, especially with all the travel teams and, you know, kids starting, you know, playing baseball with, you know, three different summer leagues at age eight. So the fact that you were playing not only no high school ball, but with the same group for so long was crazy. But you go from, you know, your small town to that, to the Yankees, probably the biggest name in all of baseball. They take you the 11th round, which is a very high pick, especially for a reliever. And, you know, what was that process did the scouts talk to you beforehand? Did they, did they fly out all the way to go with you on your bus trips? Did they, you know, call? Did they meet with your family? Like, you know, what was that like? And how did it make you feel as a player that, you know, you had all this attention and you had these guys coming in and say, hey, we want to take you so you can play in the major leagues one day? Um, it started, like, when I was about a freshman. My goal was to get my schooling paid for, to go to college for free. And in baseball, it's really tough to do. You know, because you're only allowed 11.7 scholarships at Division One level, and so um, my goal was to just get it paid for. And it turned out by about the end of my junior year of high school, I started getting a little pro interest. So I'm like, this is kind of weird. You know, I didn't think anybody had seen me. And then by November, the Yankee scout in the Northwest, Mike Thurman, he was at my house, and he just came for the evening and. We talked for like three hours, met the family, just talked. He told us about the Yankees, just said that we're kind of interested in you, you know, all that. And then that's kind of when it started with the pro stuff. Like that, that my senior year, I started getting uh, like questionnaires to fill out, um, stuff like that. You know, who's your favorite team? Who's your favorite player? Uh, psych evaluations, stuff like that. And it was really cool. And then I started to notice them. My senior year, they would start coming to my games, and they would watch me hit, they would watch me throw, they would watch me just play the game. And I just thought it was really cool. And I didn't know if I would get drafted, but I was very hopeful that I would. And to be taken in the 11th round is something I feel like it's pretty high, and especially to the Yankees, that's a very prestigious organization. Absolutely, man. So you had the same problem a lot of arms are having today. You had Tommy John surgery, knocked you out for 2013 and 2014. But you're a prime example, I mean, the best being, in my opinion, Smoltz, that just because you have the surgery, it doesn't mean it's over. So that's a long time without baseball. Can you take us through the comeback and uh, getting back to the game after that happened? Yeah, so um, all throughout high school, I was very picky about my routine. I, was, I feel like I was pretty advanced, especially being in 2010, 11, and 12 about my routine and I always took care of my arm and I, I, I kept it in great shape. Like I would start in high school and throw a hundred pitches and not be sore at all for the next week. Wow. And man, yeah. Great. Youth is so, so wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, my coaches never abused me or anything like that, but I was able to take care of my arm and I got drafted and the Yankees, the pitching coordinator at the time, I'll leave his name out, but was very particular about how he th wanted things done. Took all of my routine away 
And I felt like that was why my UCL only lasted four months before Tommy John surgery. And it was just a complete roller coaster. You go from getting drafted out of high school to having your first, my first ever surgery in the span of four months. You know, I get through the full, my, my rookie year, go to Instructs, go to Dominican Instructs, and Dominican Instructs is where I blow it out. And, um, but the rehab was crazy. So 2013, I spent rehabbing it. Everything went great. I had a couple setbacks early on, but it was before I was even throwing. And then, so 2014, I finished my throwing program. I show up to spring training ready for day one. I'm walking in with my bag, and a player's wife hits me with her car. What? Yeah. Um, I'm getting my bag out of yeah, my person. Yeah, so I had a truck, and I'm getting my, my baseball bag out of the bed of my truck. And she doesn't see me, so she backs into me. And she thinks she's caught, like, on a speed bump. And so she accelerates again, but really the speed bump's me in my pickup. Oh, shit. Jesus. Yeah. And so she accelerates again, trying, not intentionally doing it, but she ends up squishing me against my truck and her car. And um, so I did a, a rehab on my back for, it was about two months. And um, I did an abbreviated throwing program to get my arm ready. And my my nerve wasn't ready that they had transposed during the UCL surgery. And so I did another two-month throwing program, cortisone shot, all that stuff. So I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to pitch the last two weeks of GCL in 2014. And a week before I'm supposed to get in the game, I tear my quad conditioning. Jeez. Like you drew it up. Yeah. Yep. Just, and so I got the PRP injections in my quad and the head athletic trainers, like, you're not going to be able to throw. We're just not going to send you to any stress. You've had a rough year. Go home. So I'm driving home and I start feeling a pain in my side and I'm outside of Omaha, Nebraska. And I, I kick it into Sioux Falls, South Dakota, stop in the ER and they, they didn't give me anything. They said, maybe it's a gallbladder. So I, my parents drive all the way across South Dakota to come pick me up because they're, this is at like 1030 at night. We end up getting home the next day, go see the doctor and my gallbladder's failing. So on September 11th, I have my gallbladder out and that was the wrap up of 2013 and 2014. It wasn't just TJ. It was a lot of different fun events. Jeez, man. Yeah, that's... Yeah, we did all that stuff. I mean, that's we knew TJ, and we knew it takes a while and, and all that, but that's just, you talk about bad luck. I mean, from, yeah. you know, getting yourself out of your car and your gallbladder. I mean, thankfully, you don't need your gallbladder, so that's always Yeah, bad. exactly. That, that, that thing just stores bile for you from your liver, so nothing crazy there, but, you know, that's just, it's just scary. You don't know if it's appendix, you don't know if it's, if it's gallbladder, you don't know if it's something crazy, and you've got to deal with it by yourself. Um, that sucks. Like, I mean, you're, you're 25 and 26, so... You know, a couple of years ago, you know, we were young, you know, going through that. Exactly. Stuff, you know, it's scary. When you had your Tommy John, well, when it, when you blew it on, did you know? Did you know right away something was wrong? Or did, were you yeah. Like, no, I knew right what it was. I'm in the Dominican and um, give up. I'm I'm starting that game and I'm I'm brutal. I've given up like five through three, so I go back out for the fourth inning 
and uh, I always had a superstition. Never throw off-speed pitches in warm-ups, like on the game mound. And my curveball's been brutal, so I'm like, what the heck? So I go ahead and throw it. And that inning, I blow out my elbow on a curveball. And it was, it's almost 56. Yeah, it was 56 miles an hour, and it ended up being a strike, but it was like a great eat this pitch. (laughs) I felt the pop, and I walked off the mound. Golly. Uh, That's brutal. I'm in the same boat. I I hurt myself in sports and, and life itself, and, you know, got all those same thing, cortisone injections, all that stuff, ruptured things. And as soon as you do it, you know you're in trouble. Like, you exactly. know like, there's something terribly wrong. It's not like when you, you know, you get a dead leg or you, you bump into somebody. You know pretty pretty quickly that, you know, there's something seriously wrong. Exactly. You know that something's not right. Yeah. So, get back on the brighter side of things. You, know, you got back, you obviously came back from uh, you're crazy 2013, you're crazy 2014. Before that and after, and even during that, actually, you, did, you mentioned a lot of driving. In Montana, you had long bus rides in high school, correct? Yes, very long. Like, we played Billings, which was one of the closest teams, and they're 140 miles away from us. Yeah, so that's something that a lot of people know about the leagues, right, is that there's a grind there. But you were doing it since high school. So did you kind of know going in, like, hey, this is just easy for me? Was it, did it become easier? Were you like, oh, we're only driving an hour, like an hour 15? That's not bad. Like, how was the how was the mindset there? How was the bus rides? Did it affect you as a pitcher? Were you stiff? Were you, you know, mentally not there? Or was it just, you know, same old song and dance? You were doing it for so long. It was the same old song and dance. I played for uh, Bobby Valentine's All-American team for two years in high school. And it was just purely for college exposure. And for two years, we started in uh, Connecticut. And our season ended in San Diego. And we went through Atlanta, and it was all bus. All bus. That's a ride Um, right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it took 70 days. It took all summer. So basically, school got out. You got on the team. Season ended. You went to school again. It was... It was a blast, and we had like 35 guys on the team, 32 guys on the team. We had a full pitching staff. You know, everybody knew their role, and it was basically a minor league team in high school. So something I was prepared for was minor league baseball, and the bus rides weren't weren't really anything. You know, if I sit next to somebody, it's no big deal. If I get my own seat, it's like great. But as far as being stiff or anything like that, no. That's good. So, yep. so. You get healthy finally after all that bad luck. You know, you, you make your way through the minor leagues of the New York Yankees, get called up to Scranton, play, I think, one game, right? And then get, get sent to Chicago? That was that sounds like a crazy, like, 48 hours. It was, it was very crazy, you know. My fiancé, she comes out every summer. She's a school teacher. And um, so she gets to come out every summer, and then she... We, she goes on all the road trips with us and we just hang out all summer. It's, it's perfect because then during the off season, I can hang out with her. And, um, we were at Cracker Barrel, got breakfast and, um, I got a call from my manager and he's like, Hey, you left your stuff at the field. I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, you're going up to AAA. So we drove up to Scranton. It's only like an hour and a half. It's not far at all from Trenton. And then I throw the next day and I was in Scranton for like three days, I think. <laughs> and um, on day two, my fiance left. She went 
back to Colorado where I live now. And um, so I threw the first day, and then the third day I'm supposed to pitch again, maybe. And it's a 9 nothing ball game. We're kicking the poop out of, I think, Gwinnett. And um, they say, hey, prayer, get hot. Sheffield's got 12 pitches left. We're going to go to you after his 12. Inning ends, he's got like eight left. They call down again and say, we're going to finish up his eight pitches. And so I'm supposed to go in like halfway through the sixth or seventh inning. And so Sheffield's got like five pitches left. They call down again and say, get Tarpley hot. And they're lefty in the bullpen. Now, he threw two innings the day before. And we're all just looking around like, this is weird. We're double barrel in a 9 nothing game with a lefty on the mound and two lefties in the pen. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's really weird. And then um, they end up calling Tarpley in, tell me to keep playing catch, and then like two seconds later, they tell me to sit down. <laughs> Game ends, I don't pitch. Going to the clubhouse, the, nobody talked to me. The pitching coach, manager, nothing. Like, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm the new guy. And then show up the next day, do a charity softball event. It was a blast with uh, Miracle League. And then go out to go stretch and play catch, and the manager calls me into the office and says, uh, hey, you can't practice today. You've been traded. Well, yeah, and it was just nuts. like Just like an MLB The Show, and they just bring you <laughs> in. Like, hey, yeah, exactly. That's just crazy. dropped it on you. Yeah, and um, he's like, go get your phone see if, Brian Cashman has called you, and I, I did. He had called me, left me a message, and oh, no big deal, just Brian Cashman. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. And um, yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, that's wild. So you get traded, obviously. You get to a team that you know, obviously, very, very much wanted you in Chicago. They're going through a rebuild right now. They are, you know, making their way through the ranks. They got a lot of good division prospects, but you make your major league debut against the Boston Red Sox on September second. That was that is our favorite team. We're from you know I'm from Rhode Island, you know right right by Fenway, and not only do you throw a scoreless inning against the best team in baseball, but you strike out my one of my favorite player in baseball in JB Bay, Jack Jr., <laughs> which you know no big deal. I remember watching that game. To be fair, I did too. We didn't even know like like we were we were watching you. We were watching you. And we're like, oh that's cool. He's making his debut, and then we're like, oh wow. Yeah, and then you uh, struck out him, I think, Swihart, and I was like, God, God damn it. Like, <laughs> doing it. So, can you take us through the motion of that day? You go from the emotion of being kind of confused and like, hey, I'm sitting down, I'm not warming up, no one's talking to me, I'm the new guy, traded. Then you go over the White Sox, you get pushed through the system, and now you're making your major league debut, beautiful summer day in against the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, so getting traded, you know, I'm driving from Scranton to Charlotte, which is about 10 hours. I mean, that was, that was fun. And, you know, I'm talking to my family as I'm going down. I'm, I'm talking to my fiance, just everybody as I'm driving down this 10 hours. And the one thing that everybody kept saying was, White Sox are rebuilding. You're going to have an opportunity, and it's time to seize it. And um, in order to get an opportunity with the Yankees, it's a great organization. But a lot of things had to happen in order for a minor leaguer with that, with that organization to get a chance. And with the White Sox, you know, as immediately when I got there, I knew what the plan was. Like, they were seeing who is a part of their future. And I felt like I had a month tryout in Charlotte. 
and the guys in Charlotte were fantastic. The staff, the, the teams, or the, the team, like the, the Charlotte reps and my teammates were fantastic. Everybody welcomed me with open arms, and it took me like two days to feel a part of that team. And like I was included with everything, and everybody was just fantastic down there. And then, um, so the month was great. The last pitch I threw, I got tossed on in AAA. That was that was something cool. You got you got tossed out? Yeah, I got tossed out. So we're playing uh, Durham, and Austin Meadows is having a heck of a game. He's four for four with three home runs. That man is an like, right there for anyone that doesn't know who Austin Meadows is. Yeah, exactly. He's he's on fire tonight, and I hadn't thrown in like two or three, four days, something like that, and. We were losing, so we're just kind of cycling through the bullpen, you know, just getting whoever the freshest guy is out there. So I've got the ninth inning, and it's like 7 nothing. So I go out there, I get him 2-1. Go fastball up, slider away, slider away. And I want to go fastball up and in, you know, challenge him a little bit. And uh, I get him on the hand. He, he's diving over the plate, get him on the hand. I get tossed immediately. <laughs> In a 7 nothing game, like, they, they, they watch you, like, this guy's trying to do that, really? Yeah, exactly. And it's not like it was the first pitch. He was the first hitter of the inning, but it was fourth pitch. Yeah. So, what a hit. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I get tossed immediately. Fred Zalonik, my manager, gets tossed immediately. And I'm not even mad at the Durham guys at all. Like, I don't care. Like, the dude's having a great game. I wanted to get him out. I wanted to make it four for five. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I start yelling at the umpire, like, I got to be able to pitch inside. That's, I mean, that's not cool. And he's like, you don't have enough control to go inside. And so I started, wow. yeah, I started, I went off on the umpire and their dugout thought I was talking to them the whole time. And so then bench is clear and all that. And in our little, our little pile, I end up right next to Austin Meadows because he was on first base after I hit him. And. I just look over, I'm like, are you good? And he's like, yeah. He's like, do you do it on purpose? I'm like, no, I want to go up and in to get you out. And he's like, that's where I would have gone too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what, what's the point? And this, is, this isn't, you know, you're not CC Sabathia up here trying to prove a point because you're the veteran and end of the season. You're, you're pitching and trying to move up in the system. And Austin Meadows is an absolute beast. You know, Pittsburgh Pirate, you know, guy that. He's a Ray now man. too. He's got traded he's the same year as you did. You know, I have people, I had friends that were drafted in his draft class that, Played in the Myers with him, and you know, just from day one, kids a stud, great guy from what I heard too, and yeah, so that kind of there that he's just a normal dude, but yeah, that, that's a joke. That's on players. I mean, hey, it could have been worse. Could have been dealing with Angel Hernandez there. Yeah, I could have. <laughs> you know, and it's and like you said, it was on it was on the fourth pitch of the at bat. It wasn't the first pitch. If you're gonna get somebody, you're probably gonna get him on the first pitch. Yep. Yeah. So right before Austin gets to you know our last our last question or two here. I just want—I'm just looking at your your minor, your major league numbers again, man. That once your second start against Detroit—if you take that out, man—you were lights out. Thanks. I felt like I was too. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happened that game. A little, a lot of unlucky stuff. A lot of baseball stuff happened. And you know, I mean, it's the big leagues. You're playing against the best, and the Tigers—they have a good lineup. And um, yeah. I mean, I remember one hit I gave up to a lefty. It was like a bump that didn't even get to third base. That just stayed fair. <laughs> it was a full yeah. swing. Yeah, I mean, 
your numbers are great throughout that, and the fact you came in for a couple inning, you know, over an inning, an inning and a third, an inning two thirds, a couple, you know, just a couple outs that you know you struck out nine guys in seven innings. I mean, I would take that for sure. Yeah. All right, so we got two more, right? It's not the first, the next one's not even a question. How I guess it is a question. How cool is it that Hawk Harrelson called your uh, first strikeout? I think it's pretty damn cool. I I love it. You know, it was such a special moment. Like once I found out like what was going on, what Hawk Day actually meant, and because on the player side they didn't tell us a whole lot what was going on. And so we were talking in the bullpen with the bullpen coach, and he's like, yeah, he's, this is going to be his last game that he's going to call. And so then after the game, it hit me. I'm like, Hawk called my first strikeout. And then so the next day, I get um, an email, and it's my video of my first strikeout, and it's Hawk with the call and all the audio and stuff and something for me. And I just thought that was really cool. That's awesome. That's a class act right there. Yeah, and then he was in the clubhouse then that day and he's like hey that was very impressive good job and i said thank you and i'm like i'm very fortunate that a guy is as legendary as hawk got to call it and i mean that's just i mean he's a hall of famer yeah absolutely i mean he's he's up there with with guys like vin you know i mean if vin called the dodgers first strikeout i'd be over the moon if hawk called my strikeout (laughs) it'd be over the moon guys like that you can't get that back basically no, you can't, and it's really cool that I got that opportunity for him. That I mean, that I just got that opportunity. All right, last question, and then we'll let you go. What is the best advice that you can give to a young baseball player coming up? Best advice? Or advice be, that you got? Best advice I got was to uh, throw it harder. Um, last year, I walked almost everybody in Double A, and I got demoted on July fourth. And I didn't pitch that well. Once I got demoted, I got shelled. Actually, honestly, and I get done with the season, and my I changed my goal instead of trying to throw strikes and command the ball, changed the mindset to throw harder, and. It changed the aggressiveness. I came out this year and I was throwing strikes. It took me like I think like six or seven innings to walk my first guy in double A. Wow. And yeah. And my velo went up and that was what really changed was the mentality of I was trying to throw it as hard as I can through the strike zone. And it, it instead of nibbling and because I've, honestly, I've always had really good stuff, but it, command was always the issue. And when I do miss, is it a ball or is it going to be a strike? Because when it's a strike, I'm still going to be fine. I'm going to get a weak ground out, a pop up. But when I'm, I really have always been told I only get beat when I beat myself. And it was a way to change my mindset that I could beat myself less. And in the big leagues this year, I walked a couple guys, but. I would say only one of them was an uncompetitive AB where I beat myself. And then I think the other five walks I had would be ones where the guys just battled and eventually I walked them and you just got to tip your hat. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some of those. But um, yeah, would be my advice would be throw it harder through the zone. Yeah. Just try and throw it through the glove.